You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. verses 21 through 41, and the title is Riots and Unrest in Ephesus. Yes, you may stand. Deborah's going to read for us. When these things had been accomplished... Good and loud into the mic. When these things had been accomplished... Paul made up his mind to travel through all of Macedonia and Achaia and then go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went to Macedonia, two men of those who had ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia Minor for for a while. And at that time there was a great uprising against those who followed in the way of God. There was here a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines for Artemis, thus greatly enriching the craftsmen of his trade. He called together all the craftsmen of his trade with the workmen of like occupation and said to them, Men, you know that all of our earnings are derived from this craft. You also hear and see that not only the Ephesians, but almost throughout all Asia Minor, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people simply by saying that gods made by the hands of men are not gods. So that not only is this craft doomed, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be disregarded, and the goddess of all Asia Minor, even she whom all peoples worship, will be despised. And when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the whole city was in tumult, and they rushed together to the theater. And there seized and carried along with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, members of Paul's escort. And Paul wanted to go into the theater, but the disciples stopped him. And likewise, some of the chiefs of Asia Minor, because they were his friends, sent to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the theater. Now the multitude in the theater was greatly confused. Some cried one thing, some another, and many of them did not know why they had assembled together. And the Jews who were there appointed a Jew named Alexander. And when he rose up, he gestured with his hand and would have addressed the people. But when they knew he was a Jew, all of them cried out with one voice for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The mayor of the city finally quieted them, saying, Men of Ephesus, who among men does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the seat of the great Artemis and her image that fell from heaven? Since therefore no man can contradict this, you should keep quiet and do nothing hastily. For you have brought these men here who have neither robbed temples nor have they reviled our goddess. But if Demetrius and the men of his trade have a case against any man, behold, there is a proconsul in the city. Let the craftsmen come forward and settle with one another in the court. But if you want something else, it must be determined in a lawful assembly. 
For even now we are in danger of being charged with sedition, for we cannot give an answer concerning this day's meeting, because we have assembled for no reason, and have been tumultuous without a cause. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Thank you, Deborah. That was a long passage. You may be seated. The title was Riots and Unrest in Ephesus. Question for you. There's always pushback, right? Anybody feeling increased pushback in your lives these days? Show of hands. I can tell you exactly why that is. Because of what God is doing. The gospel put a big hurt on evil in Ephesus, and evil began to fight back. Riots and unrest in Ephesus. God is doing tremendous things through his church, through this church, through us. And there's going to be pushback, and you're going to feel it. The enemy does fight back. Now listen, it's been three weeks since we've been in the book of Acts. We had, what, baptism service, communion service, update, Bible read update. Now we're back in the book of Acts. So we need to begin with a review. Thank you, Jamie, for taking a service for me. Thank you, Chris Firestein, for taking a service for me. That's good. Now we're back in Acts. So a review of Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. When we were last in Acts, this is where we were. And this was an interesting passage, to say the least. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Remember that? So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, in other words, the sweatbands and the aprons that covered him as he worked in his leather working trade, even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Now, don't just skip over this because it's so bizarre. Their diseases left them, and their ev- the evil spirits came out of them. This is the account of healings and deliverances that came through anointed hankies and aprons of the Apostle Paul. Paul. And at first it seems rather bizarre to us because we have little or no experience. We have no real frame of reference at all for this type of thing in the church today. So it seems bizarre. But then as we studied it, we realized Luke's primary focus wasn't handkerchiefs and aprons. The hankies and the aprons were just earthly props. Luke's focus was that God chose to release his power to heal, save, and deliver. And he chose to use hankies and aprons in that instance. Don't get hung up on the props. Get hung up on the principle of who God is and what God does. God saves, heals, and delivers, and he loves to do that. It was the biblical principle behind the passage that was important to Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts. And here's the principle. This is so important for the church today. God is speaking a message to the church today. We are one church a part of the church, and God is speaking a message to the church today. He has been desperately trying to get something through to the church today, this generation, 21st century. 
in our culture, in our society. He's been saying the same thing over and over again, and he's going to say it again today. And the reason we're feeling so much pushback is because what God is saying to the church threatens the enemy's kingdom. The principle behind the the passage is this. The gospel message is to be accompanied by, authenticated by, miraculous signs and wonders. That seems foreign to the church today. We have no reference for that. But yet here it is in Scripture. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're still in the church age. And what was true for them is true for us. You've heard that before in here. Because God has said it a number of times to us. Think about this. I think God wants his church, us, to think about this, to reflect seriously on this. If I could be honest, and you know I always am, most of us do not really believe God can or will move like that today. And I'm not talking about hankies and aprons necessarily, but I am talking about miraculous signs and wonders, healing, saving, and delivering. Because that's what he does. And that's what he wants to do. We need to think about what God is saying. The gospel message, when we proclaim the gospel message, it is to be accompanied and authenticated by miraculous signs and wonders. That which Luke wants his readers to get is the gospel message is to be attested to by the power of God. Always, in every generation, in every culture, in every nation, including ours. Including here. The gospel message, the gospel witness is to be more than talk. Most what we have is talk without the power to back up the talk. And you can see the results of that in our nation. We're lacking to an extent, but it's changing. This is not a, um, this is not an Eeyore sermon. It is changing, but it is a serious sermon because God is hitting it again and again and again. It's not my word like a hammer that smashes the rock in pieces says the Lord. And how many times does he have to hit this rock of unbelief with the hammer of his word before we'll get it? Till we get it. My own opinion, we the church, in America especially, are headed into, actually we're already in, a season of seeing extraordinary moves of God. It is happening. It's very important that we believe for this. Scripture is clear. Unbelief can greatly hinder a move of God. The unbelief of God's people can short-circuit the move of God and what God wants to do. This is hard to believe for some of us because we've been duped. But Satan can't stop God's work. Satan can't stop his will. But our free will can. And our unbelief can. God can just override Satan's objection 
and his plans and schemes. He frustrates and thwarts Satan's schemes all the time. But what he can't override because he's chosen not to is our free will. It's very important that we believe for this. Again, my own opinion, God is desperately desiring to release faith into his church to overcome unbelief. So we're still in review. And notice I didn't say at the beginning a brief review. I just said review. That was intentional. The review will be an important part of this message. And it will be an important part of the application. So you need to pay attention to the review as well as the new material. So the week after this passage of anointed hankies and aprons and people getting saved, if they just saved, healed, and delivered, if they just touched them, we came across another interesting passage. This is all in Acts 19, 11 through 20. It involved seven sons and their father was Sceva. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They are real, by the way. Evil spirits are real. They do exist today, and they are very much operational in our society today, in our school systems, in our government, in our science and technology, in our business and industry, in our military. They have not gone away. They do a great job of disguising themselves. But the demonic is very operational in our society today, in our world today. So a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. But one time when they tried it, an exorcism, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? I said this before, that's not something you want to hear in the middle of an an exorcism. Who are you? Yikes. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. And I do want to say this again. I don't really want to give the whole sermon from three or four weeks ago, but exorcism is not a power encounter with the enemy. It's an authority encounter. There's no three-hour fighting with a demon to drive him out. It's simply speaking the word of Jesus. He must obey. They must obey the word of Jesus. Well, in this particular exorcism, and by the way, the definition of exorcism is the attempt to expel demons from a person or a place. In this particular exorcism attempt, the sons of Sceva, who were seasoned Jewish exorcists, They tried to incorporate the name of Jesus as another ingredient into their regular ritual of incantations, their magic formulas, and their potions. They tried to incorporate the name of Jesus as one of many things they used to cast out demons. Kind of like they added the name of Jesus to the mix with all their other stuff. You know, I like to cook. I don't like to follow recipes. Let's add some of this. Or let's throw in some of that. That boy yells at me. I made a casserole one time. Threw in a little bit of this, threw in a little bit of that. Deb Morgan and I sat down to eat, and Morgan tasted it. That's my daughter. And she said, Dad, I got two words for you. Burger King. (laughs) 
The sons of Sceva, they thought they'd add a little bit of Jesus' name as another ingredient in their exorcism ritual, and it didn't work. The name of Jesus is not just another ingredient in a conglomeration of chants and rituals. The name of Jesus stands alone. He needs nothing else. That name needs nothing else added to it to overcome. But anyhow, just as with the hankies and aprons, we realize Luke's primary intention here was not developing a doctrine of, or teaching on demonology or deliverance ministry. There was, again, an important principle behind this passage. And the principle is extremely important for the church today. Very pertinent to our application today when we get there. This is the principle. The power in the name of Jesus alone is greater than the powers of darkness. Remember the result of these, this hankies and aprons and the exorcism going bad, these extraordinary moves of God? The result was this. Revival broke out in that city. Revival broke out in that area. Revival broke out in that region. Revival is breaking out in America and parts of the world today. The story of what happened, these stories of the hankies and aprons and the sons of Sceva, it spread quickly and a solemn fear. When God moves mightily, extraordinarily, the news spreads quickly. You want to see these pews filled, wait until God begins to do some of these extraordinary things. Amen. Everything that comes in in that, in that flood is not going to necessarily be a good thing, but there will be a lot that comes in at that time. That's what happens when God moves mightily. <laughs> Thank you, Presley. That's our first official amen in church, isn't it? So the story of what happened quickly, what happened spread quickly. A solemn fear descended on the city. The name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. That always happens when God's moving in extraordinary ways. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is greatly honored. Many who became believers, that also happens when God moves mightily. Many people become believers. They confess their sinful practices. A number of them brought their incantation books, burned them at the public bonfire. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Again, we have no frame of reference for that. We haven't seen much of that. But it's coming and it's here. We're going to see it. It's going to amaze us. I remember a word the Lord gave us a few months ago now. The way things are now is not going to be the way things are in the near future. At that point, it's like pulling teeth to get people to even listen to the gospel message. It's not going to be like that when revival breaks out. People are going to be wanting to know, wanting to come to church. There will be people who come to church who don't even know why they came to church. They were just drawn in there. And once they get there, the Lord will convict of sin, express his love, and draw them to himself. When the gospel message is accompanied by and authenticated by miraculous signs and wonders, when the name of Jesus 
is being proclaimed as greater than the hold of the powers of darkness on a person, a culture, a region, a nation. The result will be revival. End of review. Hold that thought. We'll move into today's passage, and this will conclude chapter 19. We're going to look at a brief account of the riots and unrest in Ephesus. These 20 verses that Deborah read so well for us, thank you, Deborah, mostly historical information and facts, but some stuff in there be good for us to know. Let's take a look. Let's give some brief commentary. Then conclusion and application, that's the important thing. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in Asia. Afterward, and some versions will say after these things, that refers to the events that we have just talked about. Um, before even the hankies and aprons and the sons of Sceva, there were some other accounts of Paul connecting with believers who didn't know some things and they needed to be discipled. But after this, after the ministry in Ephesus, so to speak, after his long preaching, teaching ministry, ministry two and a half years, Luke sees this now as the end of that ministry in Ephesus, the completion of one phase of the apostles' ministry, the beginning of another. You notice it says, compelled by the Spirit. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul was laying a plan. He was laying a strategy for future ministry, for the next phase of his ministry. It was time to depart Ephesus. And the plan, the strategy was to revisit churches he started in Macedonia, and that's northern Greece, like Philippi, Thessalonians, others. And the purpose of this return trip was to strengthen these churches. The motivation was discipleship. He wanted to ensure these churches were composed of strong, mature believers, not easily shaken or deceived, reproducing believers, reproducing in others what Christ has done in us. If you were in our discipleship class Tuesday night, that's what you learned. We're to reproduce in others what Christ has produced in us. That's discipleship. And we're all called to disciple. We live such passive, passive Christian lives in America. Then he was going on to Jerusalem after he discipled the churches in Macedonia. And from there to his ultimate destination, which was the plan all along from the beginning... He wanted to reach Rome. Rome was the seat of the empire. It was the center of the Gentile world. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. What better place to go and minister than Rome? In Paul's mind, imagine the good, the impact he could have for the kingdom on the entire world from Rome. Many folks lived in that area. Many traveled there. Business and commerce passed through Rome. What a way to influence the then known world. Acts 19, 23 and 24. About that time, though, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. Serious trouble developed. Riots, 
Mob violence, unrest broke out in Ephesus caused by a disgruntled businessman named Demetrius. His trade was manufacturing idols. No wonder he was disgruntled. We just read about what's happening in Ephesus. And his contempt was directed at those of the way. Remember, they didn't call themselves Christians yet. They called themselves the way. Later, Christian became a terminology that the church used for itself. But at this time, they were still referring themselves to themselves as the way, following Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the contempt was directed at Christians, believers, the church, and especially Paul and his companions. So Demetrius, he called these businessmen together, along with others who were employed in similar trades, and he addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business of manufacturing idols and selling all the peripheral that goes along with that. But as you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, he's persuaded many people that handmade gods are really no gods at all. You can see the conflict. Paul is teaching that those are no gods at all. Demetrius' living comes from manufacturing these gods. Small g. Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. This is not sitting well with the idol industry, I-D-O-L, the idol industry of Ephesus. And he's at this manufacturing convention and he's making it known that this guy Paul and those who follow him the way are our enemies. Trouble is brewing. The riot that is about to ensue is economic. It's financial. It's greed driven. The problem in a nutshell is they were losing money because Paul's preaching was turning many away from idols. It wasn't theological. It wasn't doctrinal. It was simply the market for their wares was drying up. It hurt them financially and they didn't like it. Are you following me? At this, their anger boiled. As Demetrius stirred up the crowd, their anger boiled. And they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. That's the way it goes. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So by now the whole city's in uproar, coming out of this convention of idol makers, and it's getting ugly. Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions, happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, earthly speaking. The crowd just swept them up in their angry momentum, took them to the amphitheater. They became the scapegoat for Paul, for the other believers and the church. Paul wanted to go in too. I bring this up because I think it's important. Paul wanted to go into the amphitheater, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, the government officials, friends of Paul, they also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. And what I want us to see, it's so interesting and it's so commendable. Rather than shy away from the trouble, is it the army or is it the Marines? Who are the ones their, their motivation is we run when other people are going the other way? We run towards Marines. Paul was a spiritual Marine. 
He wasn't going to run away and let Gaius and our, our Aristarchus take the hit. He wanted to be in there. He wanted to come to the aid of his companions. Also, knowing Paul, it's not in the scripture, but historically it said he wanted to try and preach to the crowds. You know Paul. A crowd was gathering in the amphitheater. He sees it as a great opportunity to get in there and share the gospel, even though their intention was to kill him. Yeah, but what did, what did his life matter to him? To live as Christ, to die as gain. People were gathering. Many of them don't know the Lord. I got to get, Lord, I got to get in there. <laughs> I shouldn't even ask this, but is that you? Is that me? I got to get in there? I've told you this missionary story before. It bears repeating. We had two missionaries who were trying and trying to get into, I think it was Libya. And they just, there was one roadblock after another, but they finally were able to get in. And the day after they got into the country, the country collapsed. The economy collapsed. There was a government overthrow. The borders were closed and they couldn't get out. They wired home to headquarters. Thank God we got in before this happened. <laughs> It'd be like wiring to headquarters. Get us out of here. In Paul's radically committed mind to Christ, he saw this as an opportunity. But fortunately, cooler heads, wiser counsel prevailed. The believers, which is the church... And the, some of the city officials, unbelievers but friendly towards Paul, they strongly admonished him not to go in. It was amazing the favor that Paul had with believers and unbelievers alike. They forbid him to go in because they knew it meant certain death. And if that died, if, if Paul died, if that occurred, then the Spirit's plan for Paul to get to Rome would not be accomplished. We would not have the letters and epistles written to the churches by Paul from Rome. So the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, used the church and these government officials to keep Paul from going in. Wisely, he heeded their advice. The rest of the story, real quick, I'll summarize. It was getting bad in the amphitheater. It says the people were all shouting. Some were shouting one, one thing. Some were, some were shouting another. Everything was in confusion. Luke even says, in fact... Most of them didn't even know why they were there. You know, that's the way it is with mob violence. There's a few, like when you see it on TV, there's a few that have a cause, and the rest are just there for the excitement or because they're angry in general or they want to see what's going on. He said most of them didn't even know why they were in there, but they were caught up in the momentum at last, though, the mayor was able to quiet them down. Two hours later, can you imagine? And you've seen this, especially in some of those Muslim countries when, when the ire gets stirred and, and there's mob violence and riot. For two hours, they chanted and yelled at the top of their lungs, great is Artemis of Ephesians. I mean, take the ink off the page and put yourself in that situation. The volume. Really? They're sending a rocket to the moon that's called the Artemis today, Barry said. 
But I want you to think about some of the stuff the Christians put up with or had to experience. Fortunately, the mayor somehow got a handle on this. With wisdom, he convinced them that the believers were not breaking any Roman law. And something even more important for them that finally settled them down, they were in danger of offending Rome. That's not something you wanted to do. And the appointed rulers of Roman provinces knew that. The empire did not like unrest within its borders. Even though some of the emperors of Rome were ruthless men, nevertheless, they were all about peace in the empire. You've heard of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the golden age of Rome. Probably the world never experienced the level of peace it experienced under the Roman Empire. Well, one reason was when there was unrest, they squelched it, and they squelched it ruthlessly. This mayor knew that, and he's like, look, because these guys never really violated Roman law, you have no right to be doing this. Rome's going to hear of it, and we're in big trouble. That's what finally settled them down. Wise, very wise leader. Rome would move swiftly and decisively and squelch the uprising. The other thing that the mayor pointed out was we have channels for that. Demetrius and his followers should, should pursue their complaints through the proper judicial channels. This quieted the mob. They dispersed. We want to move on to conclusion and application. One question that came to my mind in studying this was, why did Luke even include this account in his writings? If you're trying to figure out maybe what God is saying at times and it's a little murky, ask this question. Why did the writer include it? What was the writer trying to get across to us? And start thinking along those lines rather than just the facts on the page. Why did Luke include this and what did he want us, future readers, to get from this? Luke records this event to illustrate for his readers what can happen in an area or a region in which the truth about Jesus is boldly and fully complained. Again, Luke's primary focus is not the riots, and it's not the unrest. It's the cause behind the riots and the unrest. It's not the riot. It's not the unrest that is of primary importance. It's the circumstances that prompted the riots and unrest that is of primary importance. Through the bold, full proclamation of the gospel message and the attending signs and wonders and miracles, the way it's supposed to be, revival broke out in that region. And revival began to impact and change that ungodly culture. Do you see where God is headed with this? Revival broke out in that region, and the result was it began to impact and change the ungodly culture and society of that day in that area. People were turning from idols to the true and living God. We probably don't say too much about idols. We would say people are turning from loving the world and the things of the world and turning to God. A righteous transformation of that unrighteous society and culture was occurring. 
through the full proclamation of the gospel and the attesting signs and wonders and miracles that accompanied it. This next slide is very important as we move to a close. The folks who became Christians became serious about being Christians. Whoa. Wow, right? That's a statement for the church in America to consider. The folks who were becoming Christians were becoming serious about being Christians. How serious are we? The folks who became Christians became serious about being Christians. And it was having a tremendous effect on their culture, on the city, on the region. People were no longer spending their resources on ungodly idols, the world, the things of the world. Lesser pursuits in life. And this was essentially putting evil out of business. Roe versus Wade was overturned. Planned Parenthood is not going to take that sitting down. They're going to fight back. Roe versus Wade was effectively funding Planned Parenthood and other organizations like it, and that funding stream is very much in danger of being taken away. We haven't heard the last of it. Now, there were threats of summer of fury, summer of rage. It didn't occur. I have an opinion on that. As soon as the church heard those threats, we began to pray to avert that evil, and God averted it. As the ecclesia, the ecclesia is a Greek word for church. It means God's ruling body on earth. We're not the government. We're God's ruling body on earth to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. God's ideal is that the government and the church work together. But when the government turns, to get, turns away from God, it's the church then that must be enforcing God's will on the earth. So when we as the ecclesia heard this threat of a summer of rage and a summer of fury because God's will was done, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, we immediately began to pray, frustrate those plans, thwart those schemes. And I don't know, maybe you've heard of something I haven't heard of much at all. The only violence I heard of happened before it was overturned. It happened while, when the leak came out that it was going to be overturned. There was some violence. After it was actually overturned, I haven't heard anything. We sent some prayer teams. Brandon, thank you. We sent some prayer teams down to the Pregnancy Center here in Columbia, prayed over that place, prayed over protection, prayed protection over that. I don't think they even got a threat, let alone any violence done. Other pregnancy centers, a little bit, threats at least. Luke uses this event, the facts of this story, to illustrate for his readers, us, what can happen in any area, any region, any culture, any nation in which the truth about Jesus is proclaimed in all of its powerful fullness. Revival breaks out, and revival transforms the culture. Just like Ephesus then, our culture today is steeped in things that are not of God. And we continue to turn away from God at an alarming rate. Darkness seems to rule the day. There seems to be little hope. 
But good to remember, there is great hope because the name of Jesus is greater than the power of darkness in any individual's life, in any people group, in any culture, any nation. The authority of the believer, the church, is greater than the power of darkness in any individual's life, in any area, or in any region. And I'm moving towards something very practical I believe God wants. God is not finished with America yet. You hear the naysayers. Even in the church you hear the voices, all is lost, there's no hope. Don't believe that. There's tremendous hope. God is not finished with America yet or with the world. The purpose for the proclamation of the gospel, the very purpose of it, is for the transformation of individuals' lives, of families, of communities, of culture, of society, of nations. That's why we proclaim the gospel. God is going to transfer our culture, our communities, and our nations. Our nation. This is the call upon the church today, upon this church, to partner with God to bring about great revival in America. Now listen. It's going to begin right where we live. It's going to begin in our community. It's going to begin in our neighborhood. Has it occurred to you that the 100,000 lost souls coming to Christ live in our neighborhoods? They're not nameless faces in some culture overseas. They live next door. They live across the street. God is so trying to get our attention to see the desperate need because he wants to bring revival. Will we respond to God's call upon our lives and upon our church? Steve, if you'll come and pray, the rest of us will stand up. Sunday, if you want to bring the band forward. Steve, just wait till we all sort of get settled down and then pray. honor you and praise you for the God that you are. We thank you for the word that you gave us today through our pastor. We just, we thank you for the, your grace, your mercy. Father, I want you, I ask that you will just open our eyes that we can see the miracles and the miraculous signs that you are doing in our society today, that you are doing in our community today. The last word that you gave us through our pastor was that the 100,000 are going to come from our community, from our neighbors, from the ones across the street. Father, open our eyes that we see that you have already started with the 
with these young people that you have brought back to the church. For those who have left the church and have come back, open our eyes to the miracles that you are doing, Father. To little Natalie Hope who had a blood disorder when she was born and now she is doing fine. Thank you, Lord. Father, Hallelujah. Thank you, let us let us not accept that that just happened. That was you, Father. You, Lord. That was you. You are a wonderful, loving God. You hear our prayers. Yes, Lord. One of our friends, and our, a member of our family, asked for prayer for her mother because she was having a surgery. She came through the surgery just fine. Hallelujah. That was you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You gave the surgeons the wisdom and the strength and the skill to bring her through that safely, you, Father. Jesus. That was you. Yes, Lord. These young men who were baptized just recently, you, who have changed their lives, that was you. you Lord. These young teenage girls who gave their life over to you and were baptized, that was you. You are a wonderful God, and you are with us all the time, and you are doing miraculous signs. I pray that you open our eyes, that we all open our eyes and see what you are doing, that we don't say it is coincidence. We don't say it is doctors did it or medicine did it. You have done it, Father. You are God. Little Presley over here. Pastor said that was her first amen. Lord, she was with you not too long ago. And she's just letting us know that you are here. You are our mighty God. And we love you, Father. Open our eyes. Keep our eyes open to see all that you are doing. Because you are working. You are working in this community. You are working in this county, this state, this nation, and this world. Because this earth and this universe belongs to you. Yes, and the enemy will not take it away. Yes, Lord. So you, I just ask that you will keep our eyes open yes, and that you will raise us up Please. and that if you ask us to rush in, yes. that we will be willing to rush in. You, we praise you and honor you this day, Father, and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.